that's actually how I got into wearables at all. Cause I was just, I was on the bench, like doing, making these super nerdy devices, like farther term thing, like trying to do real time blood monitoring and whatever, like just very devicey things. And I had an air force pararescueman come in just to kind of tour the lab and find out what we're doing. And I was doing my spiel, my super nerdy bench top spiel. And then he was nice enough to say like, he was super nice about it, but he was like, I don't care about any of that. This is what I need. And he like got on a whiteboard and he was a PJ and he drew up a like a mass casualty scenario on the whiteboard and said, I need this now, kind of a triage based tool. It's like, what can you do for that? And like, holy cow, I never thought about that. Uh, welcome back, team. Welcome back to the uh, Mops and Mose podcast with Drew and Alex. We've got a, a great one for you today, diving into some data, uh, some wearables, just a conversation around metrics with... We are talking to the one and only Josh Hagen. Uh, if you don't know Josh already, which many of you probably do, uh, he received his bachelor's in chemical engineering and his master's and PhD, both in materials engineering, all of the above from the University of Cincinnati. He was executing graduate research in bioelectronics at the Materials and Manufacturing Directorate of Air Force Research Labs. And from there, he went to the 7-Eleven Human Performance Wing, where he did a whole bunch of research on human performance monitoring and augmentation that kind of centered around measuring physiology. So a lot of wearables kind of stuff and blood biomarkers. A key piece of that is figuring out analytics for correlating modeling data and figuring out how to actually use that data to improve human performance, um, both for military and athletes. He jumped from there in 2018 to become director of the Human Performance Innovation Center at West Virginia University's Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute, where he also taught in their Department of Neuroscience. And his latest move is he's now the director of the Human Performance Collaborative at Ohio State, which is a multidisciplinary team focused on, once again, human performance optimization. So you can obviously tell by Josh's bio that he's one of those people that's very smart. He is one of the guys, probably one of two guys that I really, really trust in terms of their opinions on wearables specifically, but more broadly conversations around data. And that's kind of exactly why we brought him on to, to have some open and honest conversations about a lot of the stuff that's driving that segment of the human performance industry. I think it's pretty safe to say that Josh is a guest that we will have on multiple times to do quite a bit of debunking. Uh, so hopefully you enjoy this one. And it's not just Drew who trusts Josh on some of this stuff. Other people trust Josh too. I would argue that he's one of the the go-to people for like basically the entire Department of Defense when they're looking for answers on biosensing kind of stuff. Enjoy. When, when I talk to like other podcasters, sometimes they'll talk about like their producer or their editor. I, think it's made and things like I don't that. think there's ever another person in the room. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> Because it's just somebody else you have to pay. You're the producer. And what do you do? They're live. But and... usually usually people create podcasts to like promote a product or something that they have, and we just don't have a product. So whatever. Yeah. You have any sponsors left? <laughs> we're we're effectively a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. That's that's like borderline the truth, but yes. Yeah. So if there's any if there's any tech and or wearables you want to donate to the mops and those cause, like I'm still rocking my Air Force Research Lab garment from several years ago. Are you really? Yeah. Nice. You might need an upgrade by now. Hey, we're looking for more data. So, okay. Because I just talked about a watch and because the first question we had on our list is risk-based wearables. I'm going to kick this off easy. 
because I've always heard that risk-based stuff is not accurate. And I want to hear from you, the professional. Is it even worth the time to look at like risk-based heart rate or any of that type of stuff? Or is it, is it a gimmick? Yeah. So the, the can't answer is it depends, which that doesn't help, but I think it it's all about the intent of what you're trying to do. And that's, so a big part of what we're doing along with Air Force Research Laboratory and Army Lab and all these places is trying to keep up with the speed of things that are out there and like what is what's the accuracy of these things because our job is just to inform you guys of the these are error bars when doing this thing. Actually, the first job is to inform you guys that there are error bars and we should factor that in. And then here here's the size of those error bars. So what are you trying to do? But this is probably the biggest one that we just pervasively test is how accurate is the wrist heart rate because now it's in every like any watch you have has that heart rate like anything that glows it's giving you heart rate and it's so easy like because you're just going to passively collect it so kind of the consensus that we're at right now is for session-based workouts um, across the board it's you know five to ten beats per minute error across the entire session so that can be anywhere from five to ten to twenty percent error um so i think if you if you just care about like was that session insanely intense or was that medium intensity or low intensity you're going to get that answer and you're going to you're going to figure that out the problem is is then when you like that's you can work out for two hours and you just get that one number that gives you some information of that intensity of that session but when you go back and look at the raw data which you're probably looking at on your watch while you're doing the workout and you're probably looking at it sometimes and saying like i feel fine and it says i'm at 190 that's not right like you can have those spikes and dips and it can be insanely inaccurate, but like on an average basis, like some of them, you know, the average looked okay, but like it's got these major, like you're way through the roof that's inaccurate and then way low. So that second by second is completely inaccurate, but the session can be a little bit, it might look like it's okay. Um, so kind of what we're saying right now is again, if it's just session, like, is it really hard, really easy? they're all going to be okay for that. But if you want to do any heart rate zone training, and if you want to know with high accuracy, this is what I'm at right now. That's where the chest straps come into play. So if you want to do that, if you're training for a marathon using zone training and you want to make sure you're in that zone, you've got to have a alternate chest strap. And the, the one outlier that's pretty um, fun right now is the, the upper arm is a really good location for optical heart rate. It was actually like the very, one of the very first wearables 10 years ago, the, um, dude, I forget even what the name of the company was, but it was like a metabolic device. It was huge. It was on the upper arm, but they found like that was one of the best places to get heart rate that's not on the chest. So Polar has a, a Bavarity armband and that one is like dead on accurate. It's like less than half a beat a minute error on session basis. And it is just, it's completely right. So it's probably within one beat per minute on a like instantaneous basis, uh, probably less than that. So I think in that case, it just comes down to like, what do you want to wear? Um, Cause again, if you want to do that zone training chest strap or upper arms, you know, really good location for that. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now is like, it, again, it depends on your intent of use. Do you, so I guess a follow on for that then would be, I'm assuming I, I've not like dug into a garment, for example, but it gives you a lot of things, you know, it gives you a VO2, it gives you like whatever proprietary battery, you know, it gives all these metrics I'm assuming are coming strictly from that wrist-based heart rate or whatever else coming from your wrist. So is it reasonable or feasible to say that like that stuff isn't all that accurate either? 
Yeah, it's going to trickle down like that. The body battery and the like some of these complete recovery scores, like those are generally an amalgamation of lots of different data points. So it could probably take your sleep into account, heart rate variability, your training loads. So if all of those things have different accuracies, now you're feeding that into a black box algorithm that has who knows what the accuracy is because it's black box and we can't we can't really test it. Um, so that's when it gets a little bit more wonky, especially when you get to something like high resolution, like heart rate variability, um, where, you know, you need pretty pristine EKG data to, to get that well. Um, but again, it's just like, what's your intent? Are you trying to figure out if you're in the tank or in the zone or right in the middle? Um, that's going to kind of dictate, but if you're a precision athlete and you want to know exactly where you're at today compared to yesterday, compared to the day before, but that's all just the selection of the tools, right? So if we know the accuracy of all these different things and we trust these different things, like you can get really hardcore. Like if you want the most accurate sleep ever, you got to wear an EEG device at night and like probably wear a chest strap at night and process your own day. Like if you want to be crazy, you can do that. Uh, that's definitely not going to be for everybody. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like that that's where the black boxes get questionable because you don't even really know what's going into it. And if that data is inaccurate, same thing with like calorie burns right so if you're doing that session workout and that calorie estimator has an error to it but now if the heart rate is completely off like now your error just compounds and it's going to be even worse so i'm gonna ramble for a second and like hopefully end up at a question we'll see how it goes but get comfortable like the the theme here is is the value these things add better than like the potential nocebo effect they could have on people right so like if if somebody like woke up and felt like they had a pretty decent night's sleep, but then their device tells them it was crappy, like is is that gonna make them perform worse and feel worse than they would have if they had just not had data there in the first place? And like that that kind of applies to every version of this data, right? Like is the is the data helping people make decisions that are making them healthier and perform better to a significant enough degree to overcome the ways it might like mentally or like in terms of their own like confidence or their own belief about their own recovery and their own performance potentially hamper them? Like where's the break even point on that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a great point. And for our, uh, some of our athletes at Ohio state, we've got a bunch of athletes wearing aura rings and doing sleep and recovery tracking. And we validated it 8,000 different ways and trust it. But like we turned, we turned the app off on game day mornings because we didn't want, that was what, our coaching staff said is like, I don't want anybody saying the word readiness on game day. You turn that off. And luckily I called or like, can we even turn this thing off? They said, yeah, you can. Here's how you do it. I was like, thank God. Cause I didn't think we can do that. Um, Cause the alternative was going to be like, they don't wear it. I want the data, but um, yeah, that's the thing. Like we don't want to psych anybody out. And we have, you know, some people that like just their sleep efficiencies in the tank all the time. And they just have a bad number and they're like, screw this thing. Like, no way. And like early days when we were um, using Omega Wave uh, for heart rate variability, and uh, this was five, six years ago, and it would give you like, again, these black box things, like it would give you so, like a strength and power recommendation or like don't do power today. So we'd have athletes like, you tell me I'm not powerful? Like, <laughs> yeah. What the hell? I'm powerful. This thing's stupid. Like I'm not. Do so, yeah. Um, so yeah, we have to be careful with that. But I think it's, that's all back to education. That's kind of where we're level setting with all of these things is we want, we always want to use these things for the positive and we want to educate off of that. So if we think about just sleep in general, like 
one of the first steps that we do because we're working with young athletes and you know young service members in a lot of cases and like a lot of times is they don't even know that like if you ask somebody how much sleep did you get last night you're calculating in your head i went to bed at this time i woke up at this time therefore it was this many hours so just educating them on like okay now that's how that's how much time you're in bed that doesn't mean you were asleep for that whole time so what if i told you you were in bed for eight hours but you only slept for six like oh holy cow how do you know that well it's easy like sleep efficiency and time of sleep time away like very simple things um and I heard a great, great quote from um, the U.S. Olympic Committee a long time ago. Um, and it was really about like, again, we, we know we need a certain amount of sleep. And if I know I want you to get eight hours of sleep, but you only are in bed for six hours, you've already messed that up. Like that's that's the first thing that we can fix. And it doesn't take a wearable. It just takes education and saying like, this is important. But again, like we also need to motivate, like not everybody's going to do that and like young athletes and young service members are bulletproof and can recover from anything and perform well that day. So how can we get that information to resonate and get them to understand like the importance of these things? Like what is the value in this information and everybody's going to receive it differently. Um, so it's not going to be like me coming in saying like getting hardcore into heart rate variability and autonomic nervous system and all this geeky stuff. Like that's either going to glaze over on most of the audience instantaneously on that. But some people, it's going to catch them. Like some people are going to want to go all in on that. So we've got to kind of cater to all of those different paths of like what's interesting to you. Is this really going to help you? Again, I don't like those black box scores just blazing in somebody's face saying you're this ready or you're this recovered because it's more complicated than that. Um, but the good news is, is with some of these other tools that we've got, we could take the numbers that we trust and we can revisualize that and we can educate them to those numbers. Like we like numbers with units. We like numbers that we validate. And if we can come to them and say, like, they can understand resting heart rate or understand something kind of simple and it resonates to them and we trust that value and we can say, like, hey, don't freak out because of this number. This just means, like, again, like, service members and athletes are going to, they're going to stay out late and they're going to party and they're going to do human being things. It's our job to educate them of, like, that's life and you need to do those things. But here's the physiological impact of doing that. Like, here's here's what's going to happen to your performance today. If you choose to do that, here's how long it's going to take you to recover from it. If you choose to do that. Well, you used a word there a few times that I think about all the time, which is resonance. Like what I think of resonance basically as what gets people to care all the time. Yeah. Like, it, cause this whole game as we like, as we're like sitting here talking to people about human performance is like, what is it? What gets people to care? right? That's that's the most important thing. You can like say the exact same idea with the wrong words and it won't get somebody to care versus it like worded slightly better will catch fire and everybody cares about it and thinks about it now. But that, that made, that led me in two directions. When you were talking about that, you talked about everybody learns differently and like looking at their own data and stuff. And one that has thrown me off for a while, I kind of get it, but I kind of don't is how many people start tracking their own sleep and share the identical story of, oh man, it showed me how much my sleep suffered when I drink alcohol in the evening. I hear it from everyone, but you already knew that. Like we all already knew that. That's like fairly common knowledge that drinking will damage your sleep quality the following evening. So what is it about showing somebody a number after their own crappy night's sleep that changes it? And then kind of the flip side of that is these black box scores that may or may not be terribly valuable, but just the fact of giving somebody a score that they can compare to their friends all of a sudden leads them to like 
care about the inputs that they didn't care about before. Like now they're trying to improve their sleep and now they're trying to get more steps and like all these things that like they wouldn't have done with raw data that they're suddenly now doing because it's a score that they can compete on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've softened on that. And I mean, Drew, you, you led me this many years ago with, with other devices and that is that competitive nature. And like, I mean, I started in this game, like I'm an engineer by training. Like I want the most pristine data. I want all the data. I want everything perfect. And that, that is not reality. And it came down to those experiences and like those discussions I had with you, Drew, and like other other places as well as like, what is the intent of you using this thing? If it is to become aware of these things and if it's to compete on sleep and compete on things that are good, then accuracy doesn't have to be pristine. Like now, now you just need something that they can buy into and that, I mean, we still want to trust it to a certain degree. Like we're not going to give them some insanely inaccurate thing, but that helps the trade off of saying like, okay, you know, now I'm willing to sacrifice some accuracy if they want, and also like they're, they come to us all the time. Like a lot of groups will say, Hey, what, what device should we choose? They already know what they want the answer to be because they already want to buy the thing. They want me to confirm that. Um, and so if I don't, then they're like, Oh God, well, I really want this thing. Well, okay. Back it up. Like, okay, what's the intent. And if the intent is this, like if I'm running a research study, that's way different because I need like accuracy is a king there. And I can be more of a, a painful, like, data collection and wearing this thing because it's only for a certain amount of time. But I understand like you guys have soldiers that, you know, we want these things to be kind of pervasive and to live with them and then to enjoy it. Like we want that feedback. And I, like I do get the black box thing is um, there's pros and cons to it, but I, I understand it to some degree on the wearables side because wearable consumer wearables companies are trying to sell millions of devices. And so they're in the consumer, like they're not making it for a soldier. They're not making it for a football player. They'll sell it to them. But at the end of the day, like even though there's a zillion soldiers and zillion people in the DOD, that market is probably nothing compared to the consumer market. So I'm sure like I would imagine these big companies like Fitbit have run like consumer focus groups to like figure out what their things should be. Like I thought the iWatch close your ring things was the dumbest thing ever when it first came out. Like this is stupid, but they're a giant company. And then I, then I got it. And then I got stuck in my own habit. Like I got a 700 day streak of closing all my rings and I, and it forced me to like work out every day. So it was a good thing for me because I needed, like, that was my boost. Like I can't take a day off. Cause I gotta, I gotta hit this ring closing thing. And it got a little obsessive, but to me, that was like a, that was a good habit for me. Um, so I get it that they, like everybody wants a score and the score has to be out of a hundred. Um, so while like mathematically, who knows where they came up with it. Um, but one of the things that we're doing like for the DOD is like, like, obviously I can't exactly validate that number, but we can do some work with it. Like we can, we've got subjects and like myself and a lot of people that we will wear multiple things at the same time. Like we've got rules to it. Like you can't wear like eight things on your wrist, like one thing per wrist, one thing per finger. Like I sleep with like eight different things on, but like on different limbs and different parts of my body. But your wrist right now though. Well, that's because I'm not, that's because I'm testing steps. So that's, <laughs> that's the exception. I should cover that up. Um, it comes to optical. That's different. Um, but that's the thing. Like we can, so if everything has this, I call them R scores, like recovery, recharge, readiness, whatever it is. Like I at least want to know like how different are those from device to device. So if I wear an aura and a whoop and a polar, like do those numbers, do I have an R squared in the right direction on that? And the answer is no, it's just, it's all over the place. They're completely different. So I don't know what right is, but I know they're all different and sleep scores are different. So 
Um, I can't get heads or tails of that. But what we can also do is like, okay, if you're saying this is how ready I am or how recovered I am, like we've got cohorts where we're doing like repeated physical tests over time and you can do, do something like we can do some cognitive tests and at least get at this as like, is it at all close to predicting some sort of performance outcome? Um, the answer is probably no on that, but it's at least at least something that we can do. And we'll even like deconstruct them. Like we've got hundreds of thousands of data points at this point. Like we can take all the inputs and deconstruct them, kind of remodel what that score is. So we at least know like what the key factors are, but it still doesn't describe to hundred percent what that number is. So there's a lot of other like black box, other like sub calculations going on in there. So um yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's good and bad too. I don't. I don't think it's all bad in the wearables world. I think it gets worse when you get to other performance technologies that are like making some pretty bold statements on being able to predict things. Um, but that that's where it gets a little bit scarier because, like, especially if it just flies in the face of common sense. Um, and I think the other thing, like on some of these wearables, the, the thing that does worry me a little bit is when they will give you precise recommendations on what to do, like get exactly this amount of sleep and go to bed at exactly this time. And like, we'll do this all the time for the DOD and you guys may have seen it, but like, we'll take screenshots of just crazy things that happen in these devices, because if it's happening in our devices, like your soldiers are seeing it. So if it tells you, like I had one, like I go to bed religiously, like somewhere around 10 to 11 PM every single night, get up around the same time. Like I don't ever fluctuate. And all of a sudden one night it told me to, Hey, you should go to bed at 1:30 AM. It's a device that I've been wearing for like two years straight. And so it's like, I like what would happen if a soldier saw that? And so that's kind of what I coach some like strength coaches up with that say like, Hey, what would I use? Like, are, are you comfortable with one of your athletes being told exactly when to go to bed, exactly when to wake up and exactly how much to train today without you knowing that if you're okay with that, then go ahead. If you're not okay with that. Um, so we're just constantly trying to evaluate all these things. Like what, what is it really telling people and what do we worry about? Um, so yeah, it's pretty dynamic. I think that's such an important point though, because, and, and you talked about the conversations that we had a, a long time ago. And when I first started putting wearables on guys, it is very appealing to, to act on the stuff that you see. And I think, you know, we, we kind of came to the conclusion that, the data doesn't matter as much as the behavioral change. And when you're talking behavior change, that's a very different investment than chasing some like exact number or some exact algorithm. And I think the danger or the risk is that when like key decision makers, you know, DOD or otherwise start chasing this, like <laughs> this unicorn idea that if I just put this wearable, whatever brand it is on everybody, I'll be able to kind of industrialize decision-making and make it very easy. And that is never going to be the case until we get to some kind of mythical scientific reality where it becomes accurate, which like you're talking about is probably super far off if ever. But if instead it's like, Hey, we're going to invest in this because we want to change behavior. That is a very doable thing. Like Alex mentioned, you know, I, I remember stories of when we first started putting stuff on guys, like, they would literally compete to sleep more than the next guy. And like, that's a, that is, I think worth money, but to your point, getting to where it tells you when to go to sleep and when to wake up, that's probably not worth money. That's my soapbox and I'm off of it. now. It, it feels a little bit like 
the accuracy is the measure of performance and the behavioral outcomes are the measures of effectiveness. Now that's different if we're talking about like the research environment you operate in, like the, the accuracy might be the goal for a research environment. But once you leave the lab and you're dealing with actual humans, and I don't think a lot of people think through like, well, that's not true. I think a lot of the human performance staffs think through what they would use devices or technology for. I think a lot of the people especially when you've got people acquiring tech that don't have human performance staffs, which there's a ton of that happening. I would honestly, I'd advise those people to acquire a single human performance professional as your first thing you acquire before you start talking about tech. But I don't think they think through what they're hoping to get out of the tech. Cause like one possibility is that the tech is going to help you make decisions about what interventions would help. And I'm not sure it's really capable of doing that terribly well. Another is it can tell you whether your interventions are working, but I think in most cases, people already know what changes would be helpful and they know that they would work if they were able to implement them. So I don't think getting more data about the problems you have is that helpful if you already know what the problems are. I think there's an opportunity though, um, because we're doing some of this research as well um, for the DOD is... So now for some of the, like, I think the, like one of the next big trends in human performance things is in recovery, like recovery modalities, right? That's where, that's where we found the biggest utilization in this data in high performance is, um, you know, I learned this early on uh, with Ohio State football a long time ago is like, okay, what happens if the Omega Wave data is in the tank? Like, oh, well, we just reduce training with like make practice easier, like. Well, that's not an option. Practice is never going to be easier. You're always going to practice. Same thing in the military, right? You're going to train hard. You're going to, so we want to be really careful too of like, and I think back to your comment about, you know, the, the way we're going to use this data and I don't want to ever use it in a negative context. I don't want to ever have that data to say, don't go do something. And so we, on the athletic side, we're very careful about, we typically don't let coaching staffs see any of the like sleep data. We keep that in the hands, like the trust factor of the strength coaches every day. Like they're the ones that see the athletes every day. They're educating. It's never punitive. It's again about decision-making. And if you made this choice last night, just understand the ram of kill. Like, do you want to sacrifice your performance today based on what you did last night? But it's never going to be like, we're going to punish you because of this. It's always in a positive. And we had a great example of our women's ice hockey team last, last season, like completely bought into it, won the national championship. Like they're great, but they, they were all about it. Like they said, sleep is incredibly important. We're going to take it seriously. We're going to use that data. Well, we're going to compete with each other over it. So I think having that mentality, like this is the way you're going to use it. Like don't be punitive. Don't ever say like, you're, you're not going to go on this mission today. Or you're not going to play today because of this data. That's not the intent. Um, but back to your point that I've got on a deviation there, but like back to these recovery modalities is now that's the next thing we're going to have to validate and get to that in a minute because now there's just tons and tons of stuff out there but say you're like super high performance groups that have access to some pretty hardcore recovery modalities that okay physiologically we know these things work like there's hundreds of publications they've been around forever there might be some new um, tweaks to it but i think everybody's going to have their own individual response to some of those things and some things are going to work better for some other people so what i want to try to do with some of these wearables that we trust or even it's what it's going to take is more data around that. So not, not one wearable because these wearables are still pretty blunt instruments. Like I, as much as I love them, like you wake up in the morning with a single AB score from the entire night. It's more complicated than that. It's not just an average over the night. What I want to be able to do is 
be able to create a system where you can do a clinical trial on yourself and say like, I want to know how much this cryotherapy or co contrast therapy or something, is this really going to help me? Does this help my physiology? But we've got to, we've got to wrap lots of different data around that. I need to know subjectively how you feel before you go in there, how you feel after. I want to know how you feel in the morning. I want to have that physiological data and then try to try to let you know, like if you do these blocks of interventions, then this data can inform you on those things. So how can you learn about yourself? Yeah. You know, like if I'm going to drink my data is going to tank, but do you really know like how much does cryotherapy help my physiology and help how I feel? And it could be the case that it doesn't shift your physiology whatsoever. Like we've found this with some other things, but it dramatically shifts your mood. And like, we're doing a mindfulness meditation study and my goodness, like everybody feels better when they get done. Their subjective numbers are better. Like they're learning more about themselves. It's very effective, but their physiology didn't change. Like they're like, I hoped that at the end of it, their HRV doubled, but that didn't happen because there's lots of factors that go into it. So it's not, maybe that wearable isn't the be all end all. Um, maybe it's just more about subjectively how you feel. So, okay. I'm glad you mentioned that because this question came up, I, I think in one of our previous episodes, and I knew it was one that I wanted to ask you. And it might be less of a question, just more of a discussion point, but like on the tech side of things, we're seeing this huge push towards you need to quantify yourself. Like you need to think in terms of data, you need like it, invest in the watch, invest in the thing, because there's all this information that you can collect about yourself and make better decisions on the kind of like biopsychosocial, you know, human performance, whatever stage, I suppose, we're seeing a lot more a lot more folks looking into this idea of the subjective nature of this. Like it is important the mood that the athlete takes into the training session. It's important how they feel about things. Like the squishy stuff is becoming a much bigger talking point. And so at least for me, I kind of see these two like eventually we're going to come to a collision point where it's like, is it more about the quantitative or is it more about the qualitative? And I'm kind of interested in, in your take on that. Cause I think you see both of those and maybe it's not even two different things, but you, you kind of get a good look at that landscape. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of subjective as we're running these studies. And I'm just seeing like staggeringly good data. Like we do float therapy intervention studies all the time. And like new modalities, like dry float, float therapy which is super intriguing and like take all of the sensors out of it and again i'm just asking like on a controlled study side like we're actually asking these you're using these more kind of clinical anxiety scales to be publishable and all that like that's not something we would use in applied science but it helps us understand and man across the board like your stress and your anxiety is going down like you come into doing this thing maybe not even ever having done it before with like a certain stress anxiety level and you go out of it lower. And then after the blocks are done, like we, we asked those types of clinical scale questionnaires again about just overall stress state and mood state. And even like the Pittsburgh sleep quality index, which is pretty trusted of just like, how was your sleep over the last month? And these things are all changing in a positive direction. And so that that's your perception. So maybe, maybe the sensor isn't picking that up. And like, I don't know whether it's, the numbers really aren't changing or maybe the sensors we have aren't sensitive enough to pick it up. But if you're perceiving that you feel really good and if you design a good enough study, you've got like blind controls and placebos depending on what you're doing. Um, but again, like at the end of the day, what are we trying to do? We're trying to help people feel better and perform better. So what, whatever way we can quantify that, we just want to be able to say that objectively this thing works. Like we, you know, want to run it like as we run controlled studies of just like saying that, 
um, traditional wet float therapy against this new dry float therapy? Like, I was just curious, like subjectively, do you get the same experience doing both in a crossover study? And we saw that, like we saw that it's a super positive response in both and they're very similar to each other. Like, I'm not ready to say one's better than the other, but it's at least positive data showing like, but again, that's a controlled study where it's on a group level. Statistically, these things are creating positive benefits, but back to like those end of one clinical studies, like, are you, that doesn't mean like every single subject in that study responded positively and equally. So there's variation. It just means on the statistical scale, it generally works for the whole population that you tested. But I think like back to that individual signature or some things are going to work for you better than others. Like breath work might be the most amazing thing ever for me, but maybe not for you, or maybe you're into mind- mindfulness and meditation and you're not like, I just, I want you to have access to those experiences and know if those things make you feel subjectively better. I'm curious as a scientist, like, does your physiology change doing those things? And and again, I just, I still don't have the answer whether these wearables are going to be sensitive enough to pick it up, but I do know for sure, like we can, like if somebody was just curious about doing an N of one intervention study on themselves, we could give you a package of some pretty hardcore take hope tag, like not, not like 8,000 wires coming off. You're not in a sleep lab or anything, but you could have some other things that could give you data that that could be interesting. And like right now we're starting to dig into um, like of the thousand things I wear at night, like I wear a polar heart rate monitor and extract raw data and do raw heart rate variability. So again, like you're waking up with that single score, but there's a different story happening throughout the night. Like you can actually see your autonomic nervous system ebb and flow throughout the night. And like my own data showed me like, like clockwork every single night I had this gradual like parasympathetic increase throughout the entire night. I was like, Oh, this is simple. Like that's just sleep. And then all of a sudden it switched. And now I don't have that anymore. Like what the heck changed and do I feel any different? So now I have more questions than ever, but I think that's the opportunity for us is like, how do we define restorative sleep? How do we define autonomic nervous system recovery? Like what's the ideal way to do it? And I don't know, but that's what we're starting to kind of get after with, with some of these studies and even like some of the recovery things that we're doing, like now we're doing real time heart rate variability during these recovery sessions too. So now trying to map the subjective, how I feel before and how I feel after and what's going on physiologically during that process. And we've had some subjects that have just like given us feedback of like in a dry float um, session of, you know, I just asked them like, Hey, how was that session? Like, what did you like? It was a 30 minute session. Like, what'd you think about? What did you do? And, you know, say like, oh man, the first part of it, I was just, my mind was racing. I couldn't relax. And then all of a sudden I got to a state where I could. And then we saw the physiology say the same thing. So like context is key to all of that too. Because if, if we didn't have those conversations, didn't measure that information, like I wouldn't be able to make heads or tails of any of this stuff. Do you find that, I guess, kind of longitudinally with the way that the the wearable space or the recovery space or just the data space has gone, do you find that it has become more aligned with that subjective perception or has it still, or, or is it deviating? Like are, are the wearables, I suppose, and is the data getting better at um, quote unquote kind of capturing the subjective perception or are they still off? I don't think anybody really does a great job at that. I mean, one of the things that Whoop does well is they they do put that component in there. Like you can answer questions in the morning when you wake up and say if you, and you can even pick from the questions of like things you normally answer, like alcohol or did you eat late or whatever. And then, I mean, it will give you some just basic reports at the end of that week. Like, okay, every night you drank, your HRV did this. Um, so I think, it, again, that's, 
it's a step in the right direction. Um, but it's, it, I don't think it's doing any like hardcore machine learning on the back end to like really understand the interaction between all of these things. Um, you know, I know in Aura, like there's tags where you can, you can put things in there. Like I drank or I worked out hard or, or whatever. Um, and it just like tries to visually get you to kind of get to that point. Like those two for sure will give you, like they have weekly reports. So at the end of the week, at least you've got something to try to piece those things together in your mind. Um, what we're trying to do for the DOD is like, if we can have that, you know, some groups have like kind of the ultimate package where they're, they're doing daily wellness questionnaires. They've got wearables that we trust. They're capturing all their activity. They do RPEs. Um, they, you know, back to like the precision intervention stuff, like they're actually logging, like which recovery things did you do today? So that, that at least like, however many people do all of that stuff, that at least provides the opportunity to, to do that machine learning and do that understanding. And that's not going to be for everybody, but for the people that are super bought in and want to know that like the infrastructure is there and the products are there and it's being, you know, done at different levels in the DOD. So it definitely can be done. Um, is that for everybody? No, but is, if it's for 20% of people or 10% of people, like let's get it right. Let's give them like the platinum package. Like here's, here's how you, you do it all. You don't have to, like you can get by with just subjective stuff or, or maybe you're just not into it at all. And like, I'd never want to push devices on anybody to say like, you have to do this. I just want to provide those opportunities of, again, it's, it's all back to education. Like I just, we, when I see like the compliance levels of like, I don't know why everybody doesn't wear everything at all times. Cause I do it. It must be easy. Well, I'm, I'm also a nerd and I'm into it and I do this stuff. So like the He's fact wearing that, like six devices right now. So for people who can't yeah. see the video. Um, yeah. So I, but I look at like general compliance rates and if it's like 20%, which annoys me, like if that's the number, that means we're not doing something right. Like we're missing, we're missing something here. And that's where we're kind of recentering on this education, human factors, like habit changing piece. Cause even though like we're lucky that we can leverage commercial products. And when somebody tells me like we give them an aura ring, like, I don't know what HRV is like, well, have you actually clicked through the app because it does a pretty good job of explaining it to you. But again, like that's a, like what are we missing like do we need better infographics or better information or or something so now we're kind of we're revectoring on that a little bit of like okay we're still not doing something right like we like i don't know what the ultimate percentage number is of compliance to these things i know i know it can be higher than what it is now it's never going to be a hundred percent but our job is to kind of do the best we can to get it as high as possible and just educate use this information for good like be honest about it too like we I don't ever want to overpromise that this is going to tell you exactly what this is going on. Cause I mean, we're at the point where we have so much data, like we could overfit a model all day and we could, we could, I could come up with some model that would be predictive of something and tell you that, but that's not, that's not the intent. Like we want to, again, just be honest about what these things can do. I used to think that we needed to like find the human factors engineers who had done such a good job of like making all these vices. So tempting, like drawing people to use their phones for X number of hours a day and like whatever it is, but I, I realized that was kind of a a quest that was going to lead nowhere because it's just easier to get people to chase vices than it is to get people to chase sleep and healthier eating and exercise and things like that. Like you don't have to do a whole lot of human factors engineering to convince people that like they should gamble or drink alcohol, right? Like that's yeah. that stuff sells itself <laughs> pretty well. It's much harder and requires like a lot more deeper look at like what gets humans motivated to have a conversation about healthy lifestyle behaviors. Yeah. That's definitely where we're centering on. And that's where we're, I mean, there, I, I was pretty surprised to 
find out like all of the academic programs that do that. I mean, this is public health, you know, so, you know, while we think and while we are working with high performing groups and high, highly physically active groups, this is a public health issue because we have to educate and motivate. And I just want them to have access to all the information and do it in a, like in a, in a good fashion and have it all in one place if we can do it. And I keep going, like, it's still very simple. This is sleep well, eat well, exercise, do stress resilience things and meditation. Like we know all these things work. We don't have to prove that breath work works or meditation works or eating right works. We need to do is give our soldiers access to that information and hopefully create a choose your own adventure. Because I like, if you want to get nutrition information and you guys do it all the time with H2F, but like, how do we make it more accessible and how do we get that your own data to kind of feed into those things? And if you want to go on a nutrition path, obviously that's a very personal decision and there's a hundred different ways to do it. Well, how do we at least give you the resources to, to pick that way? And if, if tracking, like if, if you like to see numbers and you like to see tracking, I want you to have the ability to like, not just go on Google and say like, okay, now I need another app and I have 10 apps on my phone. Like what if it's all in one place and we can absorb all your data? It doesn't mean you have to do all the things. It just means like, like myself, like I would love to learn how to meditate better, but I'm going to go to probably Google and just try to figure out like what book to read or what app to, to do or whatever it is. Um, but what if we can cut through some of that and just, you've got access to it at your fingertips you already know, like, Oh, this is a cool thing I could actually use. And then again, try to get that, get that data and get all of that stuff to say, okay, now I want to get into this. I'd like to know how well does this really work for me? So like, okay, cool. Like just do this, this, and this and do it for four weeks. And we'll tell you if that, like statistically work for you this okay this might be a controversial question and i don't know if you can answer or not do the companies that sell these things do they know that the stuff they are telling people is generally bullshit or do they believe that it's true and think that the work that people like you do to not necessarily disprove it but just kind of you know like let's see how accurate it is they just think that that's false that's a good question um i've certainly made some enemies with companies i can only imagine (laughs) some don't like me but i'm just trying to like i'm still agnostic like i'm i tell every company like we i the companies i mentioned are the ones that we work with because we've like i have no financial interest in any company whatsoever like i'm an, an academic like i will use the best thing and if i'm picking something for research or picking something for applied it's based on data that we have to back it up. But I also tell these companies that we work with very closely, like if something better comes out tomorrow and I can prove that it's better, like I'm going to that, like I've got no loyalties based on that. And I mean, I don't know, but I, I see companies like, um, like Polar and I mean, this is all publicly available. It's on their website. Like they have dozens of white papers and they have armies of PhDs doing the physiological research behind the things that they do. So they at least, now, white papers aren't the be all end all, but it's a great start, especially the ones that they do, because like just uh, last week they published, they have this new Sleepwise feature on their watches and they have a white paper that actually describes what this thing is and how they developed it and actually have data in there. Um, so that's a step in the right direction. They're one of the few companies that really, that goes to that level to to educate. So I, I feel like they're doing a good job with that. I think others probably stretch it a little bit. It's also like a very... Uh, smoke and mirrors that like some of those things are hard to like you can't really prove out if a readiness score works or not right so it's like you can kind of hide behind that black box of it too um but again if the intent of that number is just to 
to kind of feed the masses of like, they want a number. And as long as you're just honest about it and say, like, even just tell us what factors go into it or tell us what you can do to get that number up and down. Like, I don't think it's like to this proprietary nature of these black boxes, like in the wearables, I don't think it's competitive. Like you don't want another company to know what your number is because none of the numbers are right. Like there's no such thing as a readiness score. Like the number of times in the, in the DOD, when you say the word readiness and they have fights over what that means, like I, I get it. Like, um, but we still need something to, like, you're taking fairly complex physiological information and trying to distill it down into something a consumer can understand. Um, so I think like circling back to answer your question, I think some do it a lot better than others. And you can tell just by the transparency of the information that they show and the conversations you have with them. And I can usually tell pretty quickly when I talk, like say it's a new company that's got a thing and I talk to them and they like won't tell me anything or instantly want me to sign an NDA or are very like secretive about it. Or, or even if like some websites you can just read through it and like they're just making bonkers claims that just fly in the face of reality and just like, okay, this is probably not worth my time. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered it, but you're really undermining the military's like ultimate dream for wearables and tech, which is that like platoon leaders will have an iPad and on that iPad will be a little box with like an icon for each of their soldiers. And it will say like 80% ready, like 90% ready. And it'll just like live feed them, like how ready their people are. And they'll treat it just like their vehicle status reports and stuff like that. And I've seen those visuals. It's I, I worry that like, there's, there's only two options, right? Like one option is like a leader asks for it and you say like, Hey, like respectfully, that's kind of a pipe dream. It's not how people work. Like there's a little bit more affective stuff that goes on. Like it's, that's just not real. And like that person's probably going to get ignored and like told they're not trying hard enough to achieve the mission. And somebody else would be like, yeah, I, I promise I can make that for you. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And like, that's the direction everybody's going to charge. Yeah. I've seen those pitch decks and I've seen the ones that like, Jurassic Park style stream your full form EKG waveform live into a like my first question is like why do you, why would you ever want that like what are you going to do with manually reading an EKG like oh, it's cool we have to have that like, I don't think we have to have that well, like the battlefield of the future the squad leader has like a thing on his arm and like flips it up and sees flips it up. Yeah, it's all the like one team leader running around <laughs> yeah yeah and we get that all the time like it's and that usually comes to the conversation of like this how can this data help in a, like a truly operational standpoint and this these are conversations more on the special operations side that it's just like and what i've heard just from service members and operators are like don't give me any of that data when i'm in the middle of a mission like i don't that's not going to affect me like if you tell me i need to hydrate or if you tell me something like i don't want to know that information because i'm i'm dialed in i know my body i'm going to go do my thing so i think too like keeping this in the in the training domain or just in a daily, like, again, that making those good decisions day to day and knowing just informing yourself of just like this concept of load, like how much work am I doing? And did I do a heck of a lot more yesterday than I did today? And do I need to do some additional recovery or do I need some additional sleep based off of that? So I think it's still just, just basics. And we had a, um, an army cohort uh, last year it's again these conversations i have with the actual soldiers and the actual like that's so freaking important because i have one idea in my head and i hear because again back to the like i want them to all to understand hrv and all of blah 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 and they just said like tell me how many miles i did yesterday and what my resting heart rate was i was like oh man that's so 
that makes so much sense. And that's so simple. And absolutely, I can do that. And I can have a dashboard ready in 30 minutes for you. And that makes sense because they understand mileage and they understand resting heart rate. So if that's all you need to know, and that's going to help you. And that was super informative because like on a group formation, like, man, we just annihilated them yesterday and they covered 40 miles and the resting heart rates in the tank today. Like that's explainable. If you don't have that information, it's like, oh, we're screwed. Like everybody's under recovered. We're in trouble. Well, there's a reason for that. Like that was, that was a planned thing or that, that was something you expected to happen. So simple is better. Like we don't have to go hardcore with all this stuff. I'm worried that you've done a better job talking to the actual soldiers who do this stuff on the ground on a day-to-day basis <laughs> than like senior levels of the military have talking to their own soldiers at a ground level. And I've chatted with you about this. There's like a a podcast we want to do at some point, like medical organizations do patient advisory boards where they like bring in people who like actually experience the product they deliver and ask them about it so that they can shape the product along those lines. Right. And like that, those kind of sensing session type of test groups, whatever, whatever you want to call it, like politicians do it, like advertisers do it. Everybody brings in like the recipient of the product and sits down and gets their perspective so they can guide what they're doing at a higher level of the organization we need to have soldier advisory groups where we bring in like the actual guys we're fielding this stuff for and hear it from them. Even if they're not experts, like it doesn't matter. They're experts. They're never going to be experts. They're the ones who actually are supposed to use this stuff. So like their input should be heard. And sometimes that's hard to achieve. Yeah. It's taught me. I spent a decade in the DOD and I got super frustrated, like reading the official requirements and sitting in those, like trying to figure out what research to do. And I always found the best is when you had those conversations and you could hear what they really, and that doesn't always align with like your management's going to get, maybe that's why I'm not there anymore. They're going to get mad because you're not like doing what the requirement said, but I've got people asking me for something. And that's actually how I got into wearables at all. Cause I was just, I was on the bench, like doing, making these super nerdy devices, like farther term thing, like trying to do real time blood monitoring and whatever, like just very devicey things. And I had, an air force pararescue man come in just to kind of tour the lab and find out what we're doing. And I was doing my spiel, my super nerdy bench top spiel. And then he was nice enough to say like, you're super nice about it, but he was like, I don't care about any of that. This is what I need. And he like got on a whiteboard and used a PJ and he drew up a, like a mass casualty scenario on the whiteboard and said, I need this now. Like I need, if I've got 10 casualties in the field and I'm trying to triage I need devices I can slap on every single person and I can stream that data back. So I can make, if I'm working on somebody and somebody's crashing, I can work on that. And wouldn't it be cool if they are wearing some of these things as just normal operations, all of a sudden that turns into a kind of a triage based tool. It's like, what can you do for that? I was like, Holy cow. I never thought about that. And that when it, that's when it came to like, there's commercial technologies that can do that. Like you need a pulse ox on your finger and you need like, there's some patches that can do some EKG kind of things. And, and that's what become the Air Force product of, of BatDoc. But that's what made it happen. Like it wasn't a requirement and it wasn't something I would ever read. And in fact, my manager at the time told me, don't do it uh, because it wasn't a requirement. And luckily I just, I went up the chain a couple of different ways and they're like, hey, you should probably do it because they're asking you to do it. And it turned into a pretty successful product. But again, it's a, you got, I think you're right. Like you got to have those conversations because it's like, who are we trying to help? Like we're trying to help the soldier. We're trying to help the athlete at the end of the day. So what do they need and what's their perception of this? And, and you can do it wrong because you can, we've done this wrong too. Like we've slapped everything known to man on an athlete and gave them no feedback 
and nothing ever changed and they still practiced hard tomorrow and they revolted. They got super mad and they started ripping things off and throwing it because we didn't inform, like we didn't take the right approach. It was like the data first questions later, but I think you're right. Like we've got to have those people in the room and it's not just the, like, it's definitely the soul. Like that's our true North as we're trying to help the soldier, but then how do we help the practitioners help the soldier? So they, they need information too. And they need, like they've got questions that they need to answer. So now how do we play both those off of each other and make sure we've got what they need to help the soldier? I was extremely lucky in my first assignment to have a really good commander who like explained to us the concept of like higher echelons work for lower echelons. So if, if the echelon below you comes to you asking for something, that should be your priority over the echelon above you telling you to do something. And we, we mix that up a whole lot, right? In like the actual day-to-day operations. Cause it, it turns out the echelons above you are the ones who can punish you if you don't do it. The ones below you just have to like get the mission done without you. So you like face consequences for doing the right things rather than get rewarded for doing the right things. But who knows? One day we'll get there. Yeah, I think it's about finding your finding your true north. Like who who are you trying to help and who are your who are your trusted people that you're trying to help them? You gotta take some risks and you have to get after it. You're not always gonna make the right decision or do the right thing. But I think it's better than sitting around doing nothing and especially if you're waiting for somebody to tell you what to do. Like, I don't think that's ever going to work. The question that I know people are going to want to ask, because this is always the question that I want to ask you whenever I talk to you is like, what actually works? So like sleep, for example, like if I'm just a normal person that wants to like learn more about my sleep, like what, what's a good place to start with that? You know, like sleep, exertion, whatever, like what works? And if you, I mean, if you can, you can name brands if you want, you don't have to, but I'm just curious, like what's worth spending money on? I get this question a lot too. Um, I think it's pretty like on the sleep side, it's, there's becoming a consensus on this. And this is like a couple of papers we've written, but then also uh, Naval Health Research Center's got amazing sleep. Like they published papers too. And like these are fairly easy. This is the one like the one time in science, I love it when people replicate exactly what you do. And like people are doing the same things because when we start, when I start seeing our data come out the same as NHRC's data, like testing the same commercial products, I feel a lot better about it that we're seeing the same things. And I think the consensus right now on sleep is like with the, with the risk-based wearables, again, it's a thing, it's the things that you can actually affect, which I think is a good, good news story. Like what time you go to bed and what time you wake up is very accurate on all the wearables at NHRC, you know, they've published uh, two papers in the last year that has done a really cool job where the, like kind of the scientific, like outside of a sleep lab, the scientific trusted device is this Philips ActiWatch thing. Like every study uses it, everybody trusts it. And at this point, like almost every consumer wearable is outperforming that ActiWatch. So it's not better than a sleep lab because sleep lab, you've got EEG and EKG and like, EMG on your face, like hardcore things. Like we wearables do not stand up to that. Like they are not as good as that, um, but they're getting closer. But the things again, what we can trust are what time did you go to bed? What time did you wake up? How much of that time were you asleep? And how much of that time were you, or were you awake? So your total amount of sleep and your sleep efficiency um, to tune of like within five to 10% error on that, which I think is pretty good because you can, you can actually do something about that, right? You can, change what time you go to bed, change what time. So that's back to like, 
keep it simple, do the simple things right. If you know you want to increase the amount of sleep, you've got to increase the amount of time you spend in bed. Let's get that better. Once you get that better, then you want to get that efficiency number up. Like I want my efficiency number on my side, like I want it above 90. Um, that not to say like that is the number because some people are lower, some people are higher. But if you know what your norm is, how can you get that higher? Well, you can get that higher by making better nutrition decisions before you get to bed, by calming your mind, by uh, sleep temperatures, like uh, dark out your room and all of that kind of stuff. So, okay, and that next thing is how do we get that up? So the good news is, is like almost every wearable is decent at that. Some are better than others. Like our, what we publish is our, our ranking is um, like Fitbit is super good and Aura is like right behind it. And Fatigue Science is really good. Polar is kind of in the middle. Whoop's kind of in the middle. Um, Garmin, like on our studies in HRC, Garmin struggled um, on all those. Um, but again, it's like if, you, if you're kind of picking those upper tier devices, you're already better than what we thought was kind of the scientific norm, which was the AFCU watch. So I think that's good. The other kind of consensus is that the sleep staging is not good enough. And that, that kind of bothers me about a lot of these consumer technologies is they will show you how much deep sleep you got. And that's usually what the first thing anybody ever tells me, like, man, I got 50 minutes of deep sleep last night, or I didn't get enough. And that's the first bummer conversation I have to have with them because I was the one that recommended they do this and use this device. I'm like, oh, by the way, don't look at any of that. Um, because still to this point, like you've got to have an EEG to be able to get that, to get that staging. But then again, like you can't do anything about getting more deep sleep. Like you can't make a decision. You can't drink something before you get to bed. And like as many supplement companies will probably tell you, you can, you're not going to get more deep sleep. Um, so you can't do much about that. Your body's going to get what it needs. So again, get those things right. Like get your circadian rhythm, right. Time in bed, right. Um, so I think those things are good. I also think like our data showing, we published on this too, like resting heart rate of these devices is pretty solid during sleep. It's also an easy thing to measure. Like everybody should be doing resting heart rate really well on the wrist at this point because everybody's using the same kind of chipsets. So that's pretty, that's usually within like one to two beats per minute. And that's a simple one to understand. HRV gets a little bit more variable. Um, but again, like all of our studies have shown or does both of those things really well. Um, you know, Polar and Whoop are kind of in the middle of the pack. But the thing that, that makes me feel good is like some of our studies are just looking at, because I don't care I don't care if my HRV is like exactly 65 or exactly 63. Um, I care if like, if that trend is consistent and my deviation, like what was it today compared to yesterday? Can I, was it better or was it worse based on my norm? So that's like Z score type things. And what we're seeing, especially on aura is like, that's really good. Like compared to a gold standard. So now I can trust my own variation. Like, but I don't care that it's 65 and not 63. I care that it's, above or below. So there's a little bit of bias to some of them, but it's important to understand those things. So on the sleep side, that's kind of where, that's where everybody's at right now. And that's not to say that it's not, the staging is not going to get better because as the sensors get better and as we understand more about these things, like I think it's going to get closer, but then again, like, so what, like if I can't do anything about it now, it does, it might change a little bit when you get to like Phillips had a device. I don't know if they still have it, but it was doing some interesting things where it was like an EEG word on your head and it would pick up when you're in certain stages and actually apply um like uh, auditory or acoustic or some sort of intervention to like to boost those sleep spindles when they're happening um so that that i think becomes intriguing like if you can do that like maybe that's the potential to be able to kind of boost what what stages but again if you're doing everything wrong before that um like same thing with nutrition like if you if you eat really really well like two percent of the time and not hundred like you can make big gains by making small changes there. Um, 
and then like to the non-sleep stuff i think it's i don't know it's less interesting to me but again it's just to me it's about like did i do uh an exceptionally amount more or less today than i did yesterday and i think they're all okay at that but like we just had like one of the fun things we do in our validation studies um for the air force is we do like i call them crowdsource so we have a number of us that again just wear a dumb number of things and just do random things and uh one of my colleagues uh rides a motorcycle and he just showed me some data today of like wearing multiple devices and just riding a motorcycle on those days like one device massively overestimated steps compared to another one so that's like oh okay so vibration has a lot to do with that and that like i've seen that too like i've done um like stationary bike things and one device will show i did four thousand steps when i was on oh, the bike. yeah same and other ones showed me a hundred um so that's where that's where i get concerned a little bit because that's like that could completely throw that data out of while so yeah the activity stuff kind of worries me a little bit more but I, I feel better about where the sleep stuff is going is anybody doing and i know we talked about recovery score and you know whatever like is anybody doing that well because that seems to be the one thing that everyone gravitates towards this like gamification of recovery and is that even worth looking at i'm hopeful but like at this point i have i still have concerns and a hard time validating it like what we've done for some of our DOD groups is we create our own explainable score mm -hmm. like we'll we'll it'll still be it'll be a unitless number but it's based it's like a standardized um it's a it's a sten score um, based on like your physiological metrics so i want to know like your your stem on heart rate variability and resting heart rate and sleep duration and efficiency. So I'll like, I'll present that equation. I'll say, okay, this is your, I call it an R score. Like this is, this is what it is, but at least I'm explaining, like, I don't know if it's right or not, but I'm at least explaining it to you in a way that like, I purposefully don't visualize readiness scores on dashboards I make for or and, and their third party things, because again, I don't, I sort of know where they're getting it, but I don't have control over it. Um, so that's the advantage to have an athlete management system or some sort of dashboarding where you can pick the metrics out that you trust and you validated and show it, show it to them. So you're not stuck with that. Um, and especially we've done some nice things on mobile dashboards where we revisualize it for a soldier or an operator. Uh, and that becomes cool with athlete management system because now you can start merging data together. So if you're doing subjective questionnaires and one wearable or two wearables or something else, you can start overlaying that information together and like only a custom dashboard is going to be able to do that because your your just individual wearable isn't gonna it's just gonna show you that wearable's data and you're kind of locked in. It's a commercial product. You've got no way to modify what any of that looks like. So you're just kind of kind of stuck with it. Um I mean I again I'm I'm hopeful that we can come to like as we do more research and like I really want to get after this concept of can we really define how restorative that night of sleep was. And like I don't think we can do it with the commercial out of the box stuff that we have. It's still too too blunt of an instrument, but I still think that we can like having that pristine second by second heart rate variability every night. And maybe it's an EEG data. Like, can we get closer to that? And, you know, the trade-offs of that, okay, you know, to have that score, you've got to have this number of high quality data inputs. We just, we don't know that yet, but I, again, like, I, I like the competitive nature of wearables. Like it's, and this is back to the like commercial versus like custom make a device and, it's it's nice that this is like a multi-billion dollar industry and there's lots of competition because we can capitalize on that and we can buy the best thing and like the competitive nature of it like some things are going to die off and some things are going to 
make it through. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Like some companies are just freaking brilliant at marketing and just crush that marketing game and, and are going to dominate. The best tech does not always win. Yeah, for sure. And it's, um, yeah, I hit my head against the wall on that a lot of times. But again, it's our job to kind of inform on that as well. And like, again, the coolest looking thing and the best marketing might not be the best. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask like, do you, cause you, you know, you mentioned like it's a very, you know, million, billion, whatever dollar industry. Like, do they care more about accurate physiology or do they care more about pretty pictures and scores? I mean, they're businesses. So, right. So I guess uh, being where you're at on the research side, do you find that like the industry itself and, uh, you know, wearables, recovery modalities, whatever, is it trending more towards actual better products or is it trending more towards like better marketing, better visualization, better, you know, get more people to buy more things? I hope both. Like I know, I mean, Aura just released their new sleep staging algorithm like this last week. Um, and I know that, you know, they've worked hard on it and they had done a boatload of like sleep lab studies that, that are behind it. So I know like, but I mean, they're public about that too. Like they, they said that in the, in the release that came, came across the app. Like I know how much work Polar is doing because all the white papers they put out, um, but I also know you have to get that marketing right and you have to get the visualizations beautiful. Like that's what uh, Whoop does tremendously well. Like their app is beautiful and it's like, I love their visuals and it's, it's good, but we can learn from that. Like data viz is king and it's an, it's an art form. And like at the end of the day, if you make things that look horrible, like it could be the most accurate device ever, but if it's a pain to use and you have to process data and, and if the graphs look awful like that that goes a long way because that like that's again that human factors and user thing of like okay this this looks awful therefore it is awful the flip side is like this looks amazing therefore it is amazing like is that the case i don't know but that's where we like that's where we try to do a really good job of just beautiful data viz and getting things to kind of pop out and educate at the same time and hopefully we can have some control over that but at the end of the day they're trying to sell devices so i don't know that like I've heard commercials of some that say like we are the most accurate. I mean, they put it on Instagram, like we're the most accurate wearable in the history of wearables. And like, there's no data to support that. There's data to support the opposite. <laughs> like, where did that come from? Like, I guess you can say whatever. I do want to ask about one specific metric that's come up a couple of times and a couple of people did ask about it. Um, do you know, yeah, you mentioned steps before. That's not the one I'm actually curious about, but it's related. Do you know of any device that is particularly accurate on daily caloric expenditure yeah we're it's a good question and we're actually at afrl we're going to start getting into that and then that's one of our next because we do this but really the structure we put into place is like we can't keep up with the pace of hardware and firmware updates to do the traditional like scientific publisher paper by the time you publish a paper that's old so we still do that but we try to get like internal releases in your hands as fast as possible um and so now this is like, what are we going to do the next year? So we did some preliminary stuff on like a metabolic card and caloric expenditure. And it's looking like that's anywhere from 20 to 30% error on pretty short sessions, um, which makes me worry. Sorry. But the next thing is like that, the BMR resting metabolic, because that's all just based off of equations. And like, I know Garmin's is just equations because I was processing data on that. Like my... Uh, resting metabolic caloric expenditure is the same exact number for like a year. Whereas like others at least varies a little bit. So I know that might have something to do with heart rate. Um, but yeah, my gut feel right now is like they're, it's just a hard thing to do. 
But again, if like if we can gather enough data and we at least know, like hopefully that's a biased number. And so with enough repeated measures, if we just know that um, this one overestimates, and again, you're just looking for changes. So I, I think I wouldn't say like, if you want to count every single calorie you consume and do a calorie in calorie out based on what your wearables is telling you, same thing with like heart rate, like if you do heart rate zone training, don't do it with risk-based heart rate and these on wearables. Like I wouldn't do that on calories. But again, if you know, I mean, it could be in the case where like in athletes, you're, you're worried about under consuming. And, and if I know like, man, this device told me that you just burnt 8,000 calories during practice. Like, I don't care if it's 7,000 or 8,000, you burnt a boatload and you need to, you need to replenish. Um, so I think again, in those kind of like those massive outlier type things, I think it's going to be okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be like 20 to 30% error on calories. But I mean, you know, the flip side of that is how accurate or like my fitness pal or whatever you're using to track your calories anyway, like the whole calorie thing. I know that this isn't the, like the place for it, but that in and of itself has always been an interesting discussion right down to like the type of soil, the things grown in affects how many calories are in it. So like talk about a rabbit hole. No pun intended. This is completely unrelated to tech, but I saw someone who said they prefer to eat prepackaged foods, which basically means processed foods because it has nutrition facts labels on it. So they know exactly the <laughs> calories and stuff they're getting. And I had to break it to them like, Hey, like that's not real you need to keep it real for you guy like just because it says it on the label doesn't mean that's any more accurate than anything else and you've like you've completely played yourself into like not eating fresh foods ever for the sake of math yep. that doesn't work like, <laughs> <sighs> yeah so i want to i, I want to pivot you a little bit to something you alluded to earlier we focused pretty heavily on wearables so far and i i know we've already gone for like the length of a full episode here at this point but you, you mentioned like non-wearable tech and like there's a lot out there in terms of various kinds of devices used in various kinds of contexts, but you expressed a little bit of concern about some of those. Do you want to crack that one open a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a whole other landscape of, so I just call them like human performance technologies. Um, and that's anything from like force plates to bar velocity technologies to... Uh, uh, muscle oxygen sensors and like EMG shorts. Um, so I think that's, again, this is, it's good. There's competition in the space and things are being like, people are being innovative. Um, I think the more crazy you get with ideas, the more outlandish some of the claims can be. Um, and we get hit with these all the time, which is like, okay, this new product just hit my desk and I get it from eight different people. Like, do you know anything about it? And I think that like the EMG shorts are a good, Example of that, like that came across my desk again today, like somebody got it and they're like, what do you guys think? And like, I, I don't, I have a very hard time doing a controlled validation study on EMG on muscles. Like, I don't even know if I want to go down that rabbit hole, but like just talking to experts, like that's going to be a very challenging thing to do, to do surface EMG. Like our, our take is like, you could probably get, like, if you're doing a squat, you can probably understand maybe like how much quad dominant or hamstring dominant you are during that rep. Is that important to you? I don't know. Uh, but then like the logistics of it become the bigger factor to us. Of, and this is exactly the conversation we had with the strength coach today. Like, okay, do you really want all your guys wearing custom thousand dollar underwear to have this information? Like, okay, maybe that's not the thing. And like, um, and that's, that's the thing it goes about like whenever people talk about like smart textiles and like conductive fibers and shirts, like as a scientist, that's, that's cool. Like I would love to have a, fully instrumented shirt, but 
the logistics side of me and like this is where being on the ground talking to people like oh now you have to have an electronic shirt and it's probably going to cost a couple hundred dollars a piece and it's probably going to break after you wash it two times and now i'm telling you like you got to wear this shirt when you go work out and that's a personal decision like maybe you hate compression shirts and like you're gonna hate this thing um and i think there's even like the other concerns too are like if you take force plate technologies and like one of the colleagues in my group does a boatload of like validation on these things like even if you pick the right hardware like he did a study that took raw signals and even processed it through everybody's software to figure out like of the hundred variables you get out of this which ones are actually accurate based on those raw so let's just pretend you got the hardware purchased like, like you bought the right plate and it's accurate you're using the right software and it's accurate maybe you made your own software and it's super accurate you can still mess up like you can still you can still one day test counter movement jumps on hardwood floor and the next day take it to gym flooring and i've seen instagram pictures of football teams doing it on turf like as a motivational thing like do you have a correction factor to like take that bounce of that turf out um and then also, like, what did you do the day before? Like, did you crush your legs the day before and you're testing today and you're trying to do repeated measures over week to week? And that's that's different. So, like, even if you pick the right things, but if you test the wrong way, you're going to get the wrong data. Um, but then you've got, I think it's more like the, the black box and the outrageous claims of some of these things that we just want to be careful with. And I think it's it's just for people that want, they want the answer. Like they want the thing to work and I, there's nobody that wants things to work more than me. Like if there is a predictive algorithm for performance or whatever, like I would love that. Like that's the Holy grail, but it's a Holy grail. Cause it's a Holy grail. Like we can't, we can't get to that. So I think as long as we're honest about what these things can do and we understand what they can do, let's pick the right things, but use them the right way. Cause there's so like, even if you pick the right, like, I mean, we validated or 8,000 different ways, but if you pick the wrong size or if you have giant knuckles, like you can still mess it up and you can get a terrible signal and it's going to give you wrong data. And if you don't know to look for it, you're going to get wrong data. Is it accurate that different fingers provide different levels of accuracy for ring wear? I don't know. I don't know. I, the, what we're seeing is like, it's way much, way more about fit. Okay. Wait, so you're telling me you you've can. not gone, because I can see you doing this. Where, I, okay, I, perfect. I, I found a paper that indicated that the ring finger was actually the least accurate. So if someone's walking around with five aura rings, one on each finger, sized correctly for each finger, I think that'd be hilarious. Yeah. Five different phones, five different apps, five different sleep reports. Yeah. You've done this? I've done two. <laughs> and it, it's not it's not identical, <laughs> which made me worry. <laughs> and I kind of stopped there because I didn't want to. Uh, you look like Tom play. Brady going to sleep. <laughs> Liberace. <laughs> um, okay. So Alex did mention, like, we basically in a full episode, but I want to try to get something out of you if, if it's even feasible before we sign off, like of all the things you've looked at and, and this can be anything in human performance, like what are three to five, these are made up numbers, but like, what are three to five things that, you know, are good in this space? Like we talked about aura for sleep. Like what are some things you're like? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably headed in a good direction. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's about wearables, it's like, again, I think back to what NHRC has done. I think the good news is, is most consumer wearables are outperforming what we thought was the scientific standard. Um, so I, I think that's good and, and people are going to keep making those things better. So I think, again, that, that's kind of my number one thing. If anybody says like, I want to start measuring something, what do I measure it's sleep because we all need it. We all can do it better. It's going to make us healthier it's going to make us live longer like all of those good things so that's i think that's good and i think 
just the like heart rate stuff. Like Polar is the king of heart rate. Chest straps are the king of heart rate. Like Garmin chest straps are great. Like anything in that realm. Like I think those are solid. So I think that solid foundation of things is is really critical. But then back to the basics of like like we talked about layering that subjective stuff on top of each other. But I think the thing I'm most excited about is what's happening in the the kind of um, augmentation space and the recovery science space of things. And that's kind of, that's the next frontier in my mind is like, again, a lot of these things like photobiomodulation and float therapy and meditation, like this is, this is proven. Like we've got thousands of papers that show how well these things work, but the technology innovation is scaling this and getting this into more hands and like having apps that do breath work and meditation and mindfulness, like it's, it's just scaling. It's giving you the resources to do these things. And I, you know, I, the more that we can do to kind of prove these things out and, and again, things that just help overall health and wellness and longevity. Like, I don't think it's just about being an elite athlete and like, while we are trying to get after that, like, what is the, like, what's exactly what you need to do based on your physiology, but like, how can all of us benefit from these things and how can we all get better by using these things and how can we just inform ourselves more? So I'm, I'm super hopeful about where that space is headed um, but also very cautious too, because now, now you get this flurry of just all the stuff that's out. Now we have to start validating all of these different, like just in a the light therapy realm, like now there's all these devices, which is great, but now we have to start validating every single one of them to see like, if it works and does it like this, all of those hundreds of papers, does that translate to these new technologies? Um, so it's a lot to do, but I think like, yeah, just to kind of wrap a bow on all of that, it's like, I think we're in a positive space where we can we can start measuring some information on ourselves and understand some general things. Again, they're still pretty blunt instruments, but now we've got a way to measure it and what can be measured can be managed and you can potentially make some positive habit forming decisions off of those. And if I can get now a deeper level of understanding of, you know, this is how well this intervention works for you and you subjectively feel better and maybe your physiology gets better then that's a win. So I have a sort of closing question, but then I'm going to make Drew ask the question that he asked when we were texting each other before the episode. Um, mine is, we've talked about a lot of tech. You spend a lot of time looking at tech. Have you found any tech that would be more valuable than just a coach walking up to someone and saying, how do you feel today? Probably not. Love it. Probably not. Like I, it's, it's about those comments, like, I, I view a lot of this data as conversation starters and like that's probably one of the best implementations of just like daily wellness um, that I've heard. It was uh, Steve Tashian. He's, he's a high performance director for the world cup team. And I, this is back when he was at the Columbus crew, but that was his big takeaway was like, okay, you're doing this daily wellness questionnaire and it may get monotonous, but it's the conversations you have. And it's like seeing that information and it creates that conversation just saying like, Hey man, I, I see you kind of reported like, how's your hip feeling? Like I saw that you, you reported that or just, again, it's not about the number, not saying like, Hey, your Z score was 2.2. What's going on. It's just like, it shows you care and it shows you're doing something with that information. And if that helps you have that conversation, that's great. And you don't need technology and you don't necessarily need data for that. But if that's your enabler and if that's what helps you have that conversation. And I mean, even with some of the sleep technology with some of our athletes, like we're having for the ones that we're super into it, like they're asking us questions and we're having conversations and we're, we're telling them about that. So again, if that, if that information can enable those conversations, that's a win. See, I don't even need to ask that question that I texted you earlier because you basically just, you, you said that you're a data realist. I was for context. I was asking him if he was a data cynic or a data evangelist. And it was because I was bitter about some things that were going on 
in the nine to five job about people who just think that data is, and I think the phrase I used was data is like the second coming of Christ. Like, oh my God, we have all these numbers. Like, look at the things we're going to do. And Josh said he's a data realist. So I think you just nailed it. I don't even need to ask you. <laughs> We've had these numbers forever. I think we, like I was on a presentation today, like we showed strength and conditioning papers back from the seventies that have been quantifying and doing numbers and have equations. And I think because there's technology, like everybody thinks this is a new thing to quantify and understand. And it's, it's not new. Um, but I think you're right. Like a lot of it's in that art of coaching and art of conversation. And like, I don't ever want the data to drive a decision without a human being involved in it. Like, I think it certainly can help at scale. Like if you're, if you're working with that, like if your ratio is one strength coach to a thousand soldiers, I think it can help you sift through and figure out what conversations need to be had. Like in that case, like you really need data to help you scale because you just can't, you don't have the bandwidth to do that. Um, but again, that's, it's really that enabler to that conversation. It's not about like, I'm going to have this automated thing that's going to just tell you a decision and I'm never going to talk to you about it. It's like, there's something going on here. And this is that we've done this with dashboards before for strength coaches. It was just like kind of like a morning check-in thing of like who's flagging on these different things and go have a conversation to figure out like, and it might just be like not even talking about the data. It's like, how how you doing? Like maybe you wouldn't have talked to him before. And um, I mean, we had one very early on way uh, when we first started this Ohio state and, you know, we saw something in, in Omega wave data um, they kind of flagged and, you know, I'm just blind. Like I'm, I'm not with players. I just kind of saw some of the data and I fed it to a strength coach. Like, this is what's going on. Like, I don't know what's going on, but this is kind of going on with the numbers and it facilitated a conversation with that athlete that wasn't ready to talk to, like, wasn't going to come up and talk to him. And it turned out like he was super nervous about some stuff going on, like with his playing time and with some other things, but that conversation wouldn't have happened without that information because there's a hundred players and it's hard to sift through that. So I think it's those soft skills. It's that communication, but like, I don't think data should be like the ultimate driver of a decision. It can help you maybe confirm a decision. It can help you sift through a boatload of data and simplify things and, you know, try to dig deeper. And, but again, it's that part of that coach to, to figure out what to do with it. And like, hopefully it will be a decision aid, but not, it'll never be like a cyborg of like, go do this thing, or you just, you did this thing. And I'm going to tell you exactly what training to do right now, because that's going to make you not get hurt. Like that's not the way it's going to work. I can't think of a better closing comment, though. So thank you. Awesome. This is fun, guys. It turns out relationships matter more than watches. Sorry, guys. 100%. Hey, guys. It's Alex. Hope you liked the episode. If you found it useful or enjoyed the conversation, please give us a rate and review on whatever platform you listen on. And we'd also appreciate if you're on Instagram, follow on the page. And if you want to reach out, DMs are always good, or you can email us at mopsandmoes at gmail.com. That's M-O-P-S-N-M-O-E-S at gmail.com. See you next week.